What's up, carbon monoxide testers? This is the Cover Band Confidential Podcast, the podcast for cover band musicians and band leaders to learn some new tricks and to find a better way. Here in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Adam Johnson. And conking out for lack of oxygen, I am Dan Ray in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, I say that because as I was coming to record, uh, I realized that the burner was on in our kitchen and not burning, just running gas. So that could have been uh, a potentially disastrous situation that uh, was averted. Nice. But there almost wasn't uh, an episode <clears throat> because I was dead. You could have been burned down. Yeah. Or, yeah, or blowed up. Or blowed up or asphyxiated. Asphyxiated, exactly. Yeah, none of those things are good. So um, the production this evening is going to be a little bit different because um, uh, the microphone I normally use to record – uh, our episodes is in a truck on its way to another event. Don't be self-conscious, so, bro. You still sound fine. I'll have to take you at your word uh, because yep. I cannot hear myself. So we're just going to, you know, make it happen. Yeah. So, yeah. So how have you been? I have been well. I've been well. I've been well. I had a really interesting day today. So um, <clears throat> see, I haven't gigged since New Year's Eve. Okay. Um, two things to say about that. Um, at New Year's Eve, um, we play Royals by Lord, and and I use my um, Helix LT's expression pedal throughout. I'm doing a wah sort of thing through the whole song. Mm-hmm. And about a third of the way into the song, my expression pedal went crunch underneath my foot and sort of, it's just, it, I felt it go. Yeah. And then nothing I did to it made any change to the sound. It was like stuck sort of toe down. Um, mm-hmm. And I played the rest of the rest of the song like that. And I didn't use it again for the rest of the night. Uh, but the Helix LT, there was apparently an error, a problem with the tool that was used to build it um, mm-hmm. in some early units. And the, as a result, the expression pedal in some early uh, Helix LT units is uh, prone to failure. And mine, just did. And I will tell you on New Year's Day, or as early as I could, considering, um, I got on Facebook and I reached out to their guy, Frank, who is there. Frank's the man. Yeah. He's there something. I can't even come up with the title, but he's a big major leader there. And, um, and he was <clears throat> in touch with me by noon on New Year's Day to let me know that he'd get a replacement out. Um, and they did. And it shipped on January 2nd and it got here on the 4th. And, um, you know, the one thing you can say about line six, I mean, you know, not all their products were winners. A lot of them really were. Um, but man, is their support exceptional? Oh, yes. just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's been one of those, um, one of the things that has been the most surprising besides just the, um, the community around, uh, these products is how on top of, keeping this subset of their customers happy has mm-hmm. been um, totally it's been kind of remarkable because I've seen them I've seen them do this and, and go above and beyond not just in your case but you know no it's what they do hundreds of times so it's not now. even above and beyond anymore it's just you can just count on them being exceptional yep so I'm I'm very sorry that that happened um, and as an LT owner I'm a little you know nervous about that but it is good to know that uh they will make it right, and they did so promptly. Yeah, well, and you know, as I was considering, is it going to be the LT or the floor? I um, I did know about this um, thing about LT's expression pedals, and then I watched Frank sort out some 
customer service issues super quick and super frictionless. And I was like, well, all right, I'll get the LTE then. And if it breaks, I, I know I'm covered. And by God, I was. So yeah, it's very good to share. The but other thing, oh, go ahead. Um, I was going to move on. What, what else you got? Yeah, no, please do. <laughs> um, so the other exciting thing that happened um, uh, today uh, was um, I, w- I was on the radio today. Wow. Um, so I have a show with Viva La Muerte on Saturday. We're opening in uh, the same theater that we did that show in April when the Lincolns were opening for Viva La Muerte, and I wasn't playing with them mm-hmm. yet. With VLM, I'm opening for a band from Asheville, North Carolina called Dr. Bacon, <laughs> which is apparently like one of the hottest originals bands. They're sort of um, bluegrass funk, um, and they're pretty popular. I, it's not my scene. I don't really follow it, but the people who... I've said that I'm opening a couple of times. Like I've mentioned the show and people have been like, Oh, they're coming. Oh my God. Oh man. So it's a thing. Apparently it's a thing. And, um, and we're opening for them in this room that holds, I think it peaks at like 500. Mm-hmm. So it might be enormous. And, um, and today, this, this morning, uh, Matt Armstrong, who is the band leader and songwriter for Viva La Marte and I went on the college radio in town here and spent an hour with them talking about, us and Matt's inspiration as a songwriter. We played half a dozen tunes. Um, apparently, we're going to get an audio file of of that, and I'll um, I'll have it up on Dan Re Music when I get it. But um, but yes. it was really fun. I've never I've never done a live radio spot before, and um, it was uh, uh, nerve wracking and uh, and fun. Yes, they uh, they do tend to be that way. They kind of they can be kind of fast paced in certain instances, um, and you always feel like you know like they ask you questions and, and all of a sudden like your brain doesn't work right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like what's your name? Oh, I'm that oh. I'm the, I play guitar. I do that sometimes. Yeah. Um, I've done a couple of morning shows, uh, with some different projects. Uh, one of which was I got to sit and have a conversation with Jason Derulo, uh, when I was playing original music, hmm. um, back when Jason Derulo was like kind of, you know, Jason Derulo. And he's a perfectly nice person. Um, his uh, advice was less than um, useful for a wow. for a, a rock band, which is not his fault. Uh, right, the, right. The radio station, but anyway, right. Um, right. interesting nonetheless. Yep. So. Yep. And then this evening, I'm actually just back from. Um, I was um, my co-frontman Justin and I went on a band hunting uh, or a, a, a gig hunting expedition on Saturday. And in our talking about that, we detected that there is a lot more opportunity for acoustic, um, in our town than otherwise. And I've been doing mm-hmm. some solo stuff, but he and I have a really good energy at the front of the room and, and, um, play off each other well. And, um, so we decided we're going to make a acoustic version of the clanky Lincolns. It'll be, you know, inside the same branding umbrella and, um, the same sort of ethos of show, but a little dot back so that it's acoustic. Sure. Um, and we had our first time sort of, you know, when a, when a new project rehearses the first time, it's mostly brainstorming. It's mostly like, Oh, do you know this song oh, about this one? So we did a bunch of that for a couple hours just now. It was really fun. I haven't been in um, building a new property mode in quite a while. So, um, so it was fun. There was a period of time where we were trying to do what I was calling the members only lounge. Um, hmm. And we had one gig, and uh, it, it was kind of a disaster. Um, not on anything that I, you know, it just kind of 
we hired a keyboard player who again uh was unprepared and mm. clicked and um just the gigs did not go the way it should have gone so gotcha um that's people keep wondering like why don't you hire keyboard players like i've had nothing but bad experiences so yeah um well they're in demand so they you know they have the leverage yeah and we've toyed with doing it again um but there hasn't really been an opportunity um so that'd be like a down tempo like um yeah so doing doing 80s stuff but doing it kind of in a either as a duo or trio kind Mm. of setup um I thought the idea had legs, but the gig went so disastrously. I um, <laughs> pulled the plug I completely. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, yeah, we don't forget those kinds of. No, no, no. Disaster gigs stick with you, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I think that having, um, or at least the 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 plan is that having more range in our inventory will will help us with bookings. Sure. So, and I, I'm pretty sure it will. There, there are a lot of places that do acoustic music three nights a week and then a band on Saturday or something. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot more out there that we can slot into. So, yeah, I mean, diversification is never not a good thing. If right. your goal is to, you know, draw as much business as you can. So, right. right now it gets us competing with, um, a market. I don't really know. You know, there are a lot of players in the solo duo market that mm-hmm. I just, I just haven't met yet. Sure. Um, and and I say competing, you know, it's a scene that I want to be part of and be a, 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 a you know a friendly uh, um, uh, you know competitive buddy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and some of those guys get weird. You know, I don't like I don't like weird musicians. No, um, people who who take competition too seriously. Like, yeah, no, yeah. It just it just shows a kind of ugliness that um I see I see more than I I really would care to. Um, but it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, take, taking it that way, just, um, there's just like, musicians should be cool. Shouldn't musicians be cool? Yes. Like all the way back to the first, you know, caveman who banged two rocks together. That guy was cool. And, um, if you just can be a musician and not be cool, it just defeats the whole, just, you know, just be cool. Yeah. And don't be not cool. Crucially. That's really. If you can't be cool, don't not be not cool. Yes. I think I follow. I'm tracking. I'm not sure I do, but anyway. Anyway, that's my week. You also had a week, my friend. I did. Um, so we, um, we had been promoting the, uh, the 80s Ladies Night, and 80s Ladies Night occurred. It occurred last Saturday. Um, and I think the last time we had talked, I was like, you know, pre-sales are looking pretty good, mm-hmm. um, so it should be a good night. But, of course, you never know. So when we walked into load-in, um, and, and we'll kind of get into this a bit later, um, I asked where pre-sales were, and, you know, was it, I was expecting to hear a higher number, but um, they said, oh, pre-sales are at 200. And I, um, I kind of did a double-take because – the last time we played there, the last Fanny Pack Friday we did there, um, there were 70 people there. Hmm. So um, that was promising. Yeah. Um, and we started the show earlier than we normally did. And by the time we got going, the place was packed. Hmm. And it didn't let up, like, at all. It, actually, um, within the first 
probably 30 to 40 minutes of our show, um, the crowd actually got larger. That's great. And we played to a completely packed house, so much so that we d- um, we we had to do a 45-minute encore. <laughs> nice. So we were on stage for about almost three hours straight. Great. And we were playing to a completely rabid audience. Um, when uh, when we actually got the uh, the breakdown, um, you know, we were kind of con- we're, we're always concerned because this is one of the gigs where you know this is a ticketed event, and this is how we make our money. And if people don't show up, we make no money. Um, but people did show up, and we did make money, and it was uh, it was a good feeling. And um, I don't know exactly what changed um, or what the venue did differently or what we did differently, but it was um, by all accounts a uh, a triumphant evening. And um, one of the probably one of the best shows I've ever played, um, best crowd I've ever played in front of. It was uh, it was a very gratifying, um, very gratifying moment. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I, I, you know, I I do think we could probably zero in on some things you did. Okay. You know, for, for instance, um, you cut out the '90s stuff, right? You yep. listened to your audience, and you stayed on brand, and you stopped trying to stretch to something that wasn't. Well, it was just, I mean, it just wasn't on brand. Yep. Um, you know, you got really creative in your marketing. You got Debbie Gibson involved. I did. And um, you know, for however cheesy that is, it um, not not to knock it. It was very creative, but um. You know, that got attention. That had to get, it certainly got my attention. And I know mm-hmm. that had to have, like, at least drawn some eyeballs to you. Yeah. And then, um, did you do anything? Um, the other thing that can go wrong about this that clearly didn't is um, the existence of some competing thing in the marketplace, some event that, you know, sucks the air out of everybody's plans. So it's funny you mentioned that, but um, a, a band that we um, that we are tight with, they're friends of mine. Actually, I got an offer to uh, to do some fill-in work for them later on this year. Uh, they were throwing an '80s party, probably less than five miles away. Wow! And how'd they do? Uh, as far as I can tell from the pictures I saw, they also did okay. Okay. Um, so you know. Atlanta is a large market and there is enough room for these kinds of things to happen simultaneously. So, um, I don't know exactly what their, uh, what theirs looked like, but you know, from what I could tell, you know, it was well promoted and sure. you know, people, people went. Sure. Well, two shows of a few hundred people is different from like a huge street festival. That's 20,000 people, right? Sure. Um, that's gonna, that's gonna hurt your event in a way that, you know, something similar down the street people could pick or probably more likely just be aware of one or the other and not even know the other's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just, uh, I, I feel like after a, you know, <laughs> we, we're pulled to analyze our failures, mm-hmm. right? Obsessively. Um, I think that, I think that it really is way more valuable to analyze our successes. Sure. Um, I, you know, this is just one of those things where I'm not sure how much, um, I or the band itself plays into that success. Hmm. Um, you know, it could have been a number of factors. It could have been, um, you know, it could have been that New Year's Eve was that same week and people didn't want to go out and they used that as an opportunity to kind of let loose. Right. Um, 
it could have, they had said that they had hired a new marketing person and that they used a different ticketing platform that, um, is better at promoting. Um, Great. You know, we got, it seemed like we had a lot of turnover, um, people who had seen us before, but there were, I mean, there were so many people there, you know, some people just walked in, you know, dry. So, um, which feels great, but you know, there's not, there's not really a X, Y, Z equals success in this. So, well, yeah, no, but there, there is like put X and Y and Z in a great big pot of activities you could take the next time. Yeah. Right. And, and, and learn from that. You know, it's, yes. it's, um, again, you know, we just had a couple episodes ago. I'm, my, my brain is all <laughs> bent toward agile development right now. That's yeah. all about like experimentation and learning from results and all of that. So, um, yeah, it's really, it's, you've produced a really great result to learn from here. So it's just fantastic. Yeah. So it was basically, you know, a pretty triumphant moment all around. Um, the, I, I did run into one, um, issue, um, and it revolves around this whole keto thing. Mm. Um, playing two hours and 45 minutes without stopping, um, and with not enough, I didn't have enough food and I didn't have enough water. Gotcha. And it was very difficult to mitigate that issue at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, I went home feeling very, very not cool. <laughs> I, I basically went home, ate a piece of bread, and went to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that could have been a, a real triumphant moment. And, you know, I didn't, I really didn't get a whole lot of opportunity to bask in the glory. Uh, cause I felt about as awful as I've felt in a very, very long I time. Gotcha. So, I gotcha. So that's uh there's, there's still a learning curve to, um, fueling, uh, that kind of activity. Yeah. Apparently. You know, even, even more generally, even not in keto, we might do an episode about like self care. Yes. Because uh, we're bad we're at it at, as musicians. We're bad at it. Definitely. So um, when, we, when it was all said and done, um, the capacity for the venue was 265, um, and we sold a total of 290 <laughs> tickets. That's good. Um, which actually broke their attendance record. That's really? Like lifetime? Mm-hmm. Dang. Good job. No one has booked that many people for one show in that venue's That's history. Fantastic! Listen, just just real short aside. Yes. As we were playing, as the Clanky Lincolns were playing tailgaters for, at New Year's. Viva La Muerte mm-hmm. was playing a place called uh, Little Brother Brewing, which is a place I played with them, uh, but I was already uh, booked for New Year's. Um, that show that I could have been at if I hadn't been with the Lincolns got shut down mm-hmm. by the cops at about what? fifteen minutes to midnight on New Year's Eve for being uh, drastically over capacity, drastically. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, like fully uh, armed and equipped police officers came in and cleared the place out. It was, um, it was pretty impressive. And I, and I ran into Matt, the leader of that band. Um, he lives two blocks away from me. So we were out walking the kid and he was out walking the dog and we ran into each other. It was like, Hey, they're criminal. Good job. You know, it's very proud, nice. very proud to have had the police shut down an event. So you were lucky. You missed the, you dodged the bullet on that. Yeah. I mean, and as an adult, anytime, I mean, that that's total street cred. Oh, absolutely. In, in this realm for sure. So one of the things was, um, we had talked about this cause of course, you know, immediately after I kind of, got my wits back about me. I of course shared kind of the breakdown with, uh, with Dan mm-hmm. and he's like, Hey, this is probably a good thing to discuss. Um, 
you know, some of you guys are at a different, you know, are at different stages and some of you may be kind of considering um, jumping into these kinds of events. And uh, I just kind of wanted to demystify that a little bit and kind of talk about the economics and the mechanics of these kinds of shows and um, what that looks like. Now, you had said um, when, the first time you had gotten yourself into one of these gigs, um, you were a bit taken aback or um, overwhelmed by the uh, the breakdown. Well, I just didn't expect it. They walked up and handed me this piece of paper at the end of the night and um – um, I don't know, I don't know what I was expecting, but somehow it wasn't that. Um, and so, you know, I come from, I come from business and I see reports and stuff like that. And I, under, I, I understood what all the parts of it were and I appreciated that it existed. Um, it just, I guess what struck me in that moment was how unprepared I was for the whole thing. So when I saw yours and yeah, with a great big, um, very happy dollar figure at the bottom of it, um, <laughs> It, it just struck me that probably we have listeners who are bar band folks who would love to make that leap into ticketed events and sort of, um, certainly up the food chain, certainly up the pay chain. Um, yes. and, and kind of what that looks like, what, what that world is. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into it then. Yeah. So, um, this, the first thing that you need to understand um, when you're going into these kinds of situations is that um, they are flexible and the, what they offer you um, isn't necessarily what you end up having to agree to, but that there is typically some kind of, um, there's going to be, there could be a a, a little give and take here. So I'm going to go ahead and break down what, uh, what we had agreed to. Um, Typically, these kinds of shows are going to be either a straight guarantee, a straight percentage, or a guarantee versus a percentage. And so, to be clear, guarantee means some flat dollar value that they're going to pay you for playing. Right. That's the that's just your standard fee. Like whether you know a hundred people show up or zero people show up, you're going to make that much money. Right. And percentage might be percentage of the door, might be percentage of tickets, might be percentage of the bar. Or some combination. Or some combination of that, yeah. Yeah. So what that looks like in our case is that we have traditionally with this venue had a deal where our our money is 80% of the door. Um, Which, um, just to inject, um, is pretty generous. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah, which means that for every dollar that um that somebody pays to come into the venue, we get 80 cents and they get 20 cents. Yeah, I did one one time that was 50% of the door, but you said something just 30 seconds ago that blew my mind, which is I, I don't think anybody negotiated with the venue about that. I think the venue just laid out their price and we just said okay. Right. So, and you know what, on the first go round, you're probably that's probably where you're going to be. Yeah. Um, there's not, you know, because unless you have some kind of leverage, there's no reason for them to, to budge on that. Fair. Um, Fair. And, and the deal that we have, um, is now we're kind of thinking maybe we, it's, it's time to have that conversation. Mm. Um, I may let another one come and go if it is as successful as this one is. Um, I think we might have a bit more to say about it. I would say. Um, so, um, here's the, 
general breakdown of what um, what was available as far as options. Um, pre-sales uh, for general admission were uh, $10. Um, they had three levels of seating. They had banquets, which are two-seaters, tables, which were four tops, and then booths, which hold, you know, four to six people. Uh, the banquettes were seventeen fifty per person or per ticket. Uh, the tables were seventeen fifty per ticket, and the booths were twenty two fifty per uh, ticket. And a banquette is like a like a bar table, like a high table. No, just like a two top. Okay. So all the same level, but smaller than a quote unquote table. Fair. Uh, they then had day of show online, which was fifteen dollars. Day of show cash, which was fifteen dollars. Day of show card, which was fifteen dollars. Um, and then there's one that's. PDR, and I don't know what that stands for, uh, but it's also $15. So, in summation, we sold 105 general admission tickets. We sold uh, 10 banquettes. We sold 40 tables. We sold 24 booths. That's, that's, these are individual seating for those particular things. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to sit at a table, it was going to cost you $17.50. We sold 40 of those. Um, we sold 24 uh, booth uh, seats. We sold um, 25 day of show online, 20 day of show cash, 36 day of show card, 10 PDRs for a total of 290 tickets. So if, you're, if, you're, um, if I want to take my wife and our two friends – I'm going to buy a table mm-hmm. for four, right? I'm going to buy four yep. table tickets. Mm-hmm. And who's managing the logistics of that? Because like, there's a limited amount of inventory in tables. That is all managed by the ticketing system. Okay. So there's there's some virtual restaurant up in their uh, in their system in the cloud. Yep, up in the, just those cloud restaurants that they have. Yeah, and all of that is being uh, parsed out by the system. Gotcha. So I'll come and say, I have a party of four. Where can you put me? Yep. Yeah, gotcha. And they'll verify your reservation based off of whatever ticket breakdown that they got, and then they'll seat you accordingly. And then a general admission ticket doesn't come with a seat? It does not. You're standing. You're standing. And um, in our case, most people were standing. Mm. Um, you know, if, you're, if you do the math, uh, as far as because the, the seating section was basically all to the right side of the stage. So maybe the, the first third of, of stage right was the seated section, and then everything else was dance floor and bar. Gotcha. So in total, about 75 people are sitting, which from the grand total of attendees is, is kind of small. But you also have to kind of think, well, these people paid extra to sit down, so you do have to work for mm-hmm. them um, because you know they did pay extra to be there. So. Um, but that leaves the other, you know, 215 people, um, at the bar. Uh, and there's some, there's definitely bar seating, but it's first come first serve. There's no reservations, anything like that. And for most people, we would hope that their table is like a place to leave their coat. Right. While they're up. And, and some people did that and other people didn't. And, and actually it got so crowded that a lot of people went back to their tables, uh, just so they'd have space huh. because the people that were up front were very much kind of crammed up against the stage and, you know, very intimate with the other audience. Members. Sure. So that leaves us with our gross ticket revenue, which is a very considerable amount of money. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and here is where things start to get a bit interesting because gross gross revenue is where is the jumping off point for where the venue starts taking their money. So what that looks like is um, there is a door tax and fee, which looks to me like a percentage based on basically staffing a person to be at the door. Right. Um, that once they remove the fee from that, um, we end up with all the the base ticket revenue, which has already cut off you know about one hundred and fifty bucks. Now net expenses for the venue. Uh, was put at $500. And to my understanding, um, 350 of that went to the sound man who was there starting at 3 p.m. who helped us with load-in and set everything up, ran sound check, and then did all the things that he had to mm-hmm. do. Uh, and then they spent 150 in advertisement. So that's 500 off the top of that. Okay. So then you then you go to the split point. So this is where the percentage comes in. So once they've removed the expenses, which is door taxes and fees and the advertisement slash sound guy fee, we then get 80% of that lowered number. Right. So then we end up with our artist gross, which is what we, you know, what the check was cut for. Um, on top of that, we did get, um, a hospitality um, check for the green room, which is $25 per head, uh, which we never stay under um, because the load-in is at 3 and the show starts at 9. <laughs> There's a lot of downtime, yep. and the food is great, and the drinks are great, so we always go over there. Right. But we walked away with uh, with over two grand in our pockets. Good. For how many players? Uh, for five guys. Okay. Good payday. It's um, good payday. Yeah, and the way that we that we, you know, I had built the gig originally was we we are we've adopted a system where public dates are a flat fee and private dates are a flat fee. So I um I had guaranteed my guys a set amount of money, and you know that means that if we had a gig like we had the last time at Bankman's, um, I would have made no money. Right, and in this case. Uh, we all made a good amount of money. <laughs> or in this case, we all made a good amount of money. Right. Um, and you and I had this conversation, and um, you said that you wanted to uh, to give me some advice on that. And I've already this, – yeah. this situation has already been wrapped yeah, up. Yeah, I thought it might but be. I, I would- I would like to hear what uh, what your thoughts on that would be. Yeah, well, so the question, the question Adam came to me with – I mean, not that um, – he was in the middle of working it out, right? So it's not like the the question was, you know, I've I've given my guys, we I have an agreement with them for a flat fee, and I made more money than I would need to make. You know, the, in, in in principle, if you divide that money evenly, it would be more than their flat fee. Yeah. So do they deserve that, or do I do I right. feel weird about taking the excess for myself to cover, or just to take it for myself for for whatever reason? Because because I right. could um, just pay them what I agreed. And then the rest comes to me. Um, and I said, I had advice and we wanted to record it, but I, but I um, suspected you would have to handle it before that. So, well, yeah, I'm not going right. to sit on. You know, exactly. 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 So, um, 
the um what I would do in that case if you had like extra money for from a gig and especially when the last one you did was a disaster right you went out of mm-hmm. pocket for that one to pay them I would give Correct. them a a bonus that mm-hmm. I would make sure I would make I would I would keep most of it all right honestly I would I would keep most of the overage I'd give them a nice bonus that feels good and tell them that I'm doing that I would be transparent about all the money I'd say look you know, last time around, I actually had to subsidize the band. I mean, I'm happy to do it because that's the business. Um, this time around, I'm going to give you a little bonus. It's not like fully a fifth of what we took because I'm kind of paying myself back for having gone out of pocket last time. But, you know, thank, thanks for your participation. It was an amazing night. Let's do it again. You know, let's have everybody do great. Um, but I think, I think, um, there's, I think, I don't think there's any reason for you to feel bad about keeping the overage because you're the one who, booked it and runs the business and does all that stuff. Um, I think giving them a little bump is very nice. And I think letting them know that that's a bump that, you know, they didn't necessarily expect or contractually deserve or whatever, um, Mm -hmm. is, is also appropriate. And I think, I think it communicates something nice to be that open about it. So that would have been my advice had, had I, um, stepped up and given it to you when you were asking for it rather than insisting on waiting to share it with our listeners. Um, what did you end up doing? I I did that. Oh yeah, basically. there you go. Very good. <laughs> um, yeah, and I didn't really, I didn't make a big flowery, you know, deal about it. They knew what was expected, and then I paid them more than that. Yeah. Um, I think that in itself was kind of a reflection of, hey, you know, this went well, and um, and so you you know you guys get a piece of that. Yeah. So yeah, and um, I uh, I heard back from. A couple of the guys and the a couple of the other guys didn't, you know, wasn't really, you know, didn't really acknowledge it, and that's fine. Um, you know, it is just one of the one of the things that you have to kind of manage as a, you know, in my case, as a band leader, mm-hmm. I'm I'm using I'm using that money to do other things, right? Um, including, you know, putting together uh, new promo material, um, you know we've got a, a bunch of capital purchases that need to happen. Uh, we were out of business cards and I had to order about a hundred dollars worth of those. And the other thing that I'm working on, um, is actually tied into some of the promotional things that we as a blog and a podcast are going to start offering to mm, our listeners. There you go. Um, you know, one of the perks of doing this kind of work and being connected with, uh, the kind of people that we're connected to is that we, um, you know, we have been able to, garner some deals. Um, and I will share with, with you guys one of those, um, in this episode. Um, so one of the things that I have, <laughs> we were going to tease on, that, we were going to tease that earlier than this, I think. We, yeah. And we forgot. Yeah. Um, cause we're not professional podcasters. <laughs> we, we suck at this. It's all right. We're just, da- we're just dads in our studies. Yeah. Um, getting this kind of stuff. Anyway, um, what I was working on, uh, and I've been working on it this week. If you follow me on social media is a uh, custom picks. Um, a friend of mine who does uh, A&R for a prominent uh, gear company uh, has kind of started doing uh, this custom pick company um, as well. And I reached out to him and I said, hey, um, do you mind if I talk about you guys in the blog, on the uh, podcast? Um, and he said, well, no, I, I don't mind. And I said, well, could you um, possibly hook us up with a discount code uh, for our listeners? And uh, I heard nothing and I expected nothing. <laughs> And he came back with not a 5% discount. Ooh. 
He didn't even come back with a 10% discount. Whoa, what? I have been able to get you guys a discount uh, of 20% at picksofdestiny.com. <laughs> nice. These guys have a, a lot of experience uh, in this market, and they have a really broad um, product line, including all different kinds of picks, different sizes, different uh, materials. Uh, their printing is dual-sided, full color. They do not charge extra for these things. Uh, their prices are already super, super reasonable. Um, and then they gave us uh, an insane discount on top of it just because. Um, and I think that it would be super valuable to uh, our listeners. Uh, they've got a really great virtual pick designer that you can use. Um, I was messing with it today. And um, hopefully we'll be putting an order in within the next couple of days. So great. for our listeners, exclusively for Cover Band Confidential listeners, your discount code to save 20% is SILVER20 with three exclamation marks at the end. <laughs> nice. SILVER20, three exclamation marks. Bang, bang, 20% bang. on your order. And just, just so you know... The base model order for 100 picks is like $65. It's, wow. It's very super, super reasonable, and you're getting 20% off of that. Um, so what I would suggest is at least double that order because it's only like a, the, the biggest discount is between 100 and 200, and the higher you go, that kind of gets more incremental. Um, but for like less than 100 bucks, you could get 200 custom picks uh, put your promo material, you know, put your logo on one side, put your website on the other, um, or don't just make them for yourself just cause you want to, um, yeah. at that price, why not? Right. Yeah. So, I'll tell you, I, I ordered custom picks from a competitor of theirs who I'm not going to name. And I had a really frustrating experience. So, yeah. you know, um, I ended up with, I ended up getting them reprinted and getting them redone with like a design that wasn't really what I wanted. And, because they couldn't do what I wanted. And, mm -hmm. you know, after having sent me a proof that looked like they could do what I wanted, the picks came and they were terrible and yeah. a whole big mess. So these guys, I'm sure, will do much better. And boy, does it sound like the price is right. That's very, very good. Well, and I asked them a, a, a pretty weird question. They, they had the material that I liked and the thickness that I liked, but they didn't have the color that I liked. And I said, hey, can ah. you do this? And they're like, yeah, we can totally do that. We'll just, we can throw ink on, you know, we'll just make it a solid color print with a white background or whatever color background. So it doesn't even matter what color you want. Um, they can make it happen. Um, I've, I've been super impressed. Um, I, I can't wait to put my order in. And as soon as they come in, I will definitely be sharing it with you guys. But again, check out picksofdestiny.com. It's multiple picks, not a single pick. The pick of mm -hmm. destiny is a very strange movie that tenacious D made that I enjoyed very, very, very much. Strange movie. Yeah. Yeah. Fun fact the kid who plays Little Jack Black at the beginning of that movie, who also actually plays Little Jack Black and Nacho Libre because they were made very close uh, together, is the uh, the kid who plays Barry Goldberg on the Goldbergs. Huh. I just found that out. I don't know recently, and I'm totally obsessed with the Goldbergs. And they they just did a they did a a Goldberg slash Wedding Singer movie crossover tonight. That I just <laughs> I'm you know. Is it, it's right in my wheelhouse. I can't help it. Anyway, so go. yes, picksofdestiny.com. Get some picks, save some money. Yeah, you're welcome. Cool. Listen, sw swinging back to our topic. Yeah, 
How would you, um, if you were a bar band who was interested in getting their first ticketed show scheduled, how would you go about approaching a venue? So, um, the way that this works, and this is something that takes a little time to kind of get, uh, to get your feet under is to understand what, what you are providing for a venue. So what you're providing for a venue is a reason for people to come to their venue, spend their money, your quality of performance slash musicality is not quite as important as the quality of your promotional material. Um, the way that you approach the venue and the confidence you have in your product, those things will, will get you much further, um, than just, you know, a CD or an MP3 of what you sound like. Yeah. In fact, we're a really good band is just not a selling point for them. No. And, and almost everybody who is in this business knows that that means absolutely nothing because everybody says that and everybody thinks that, and not many people are that. Well, and even if they are, we're a really good band who can't sell ourselves worth beans is not worth beans. Nope. Absolutely. Um, I had a, I had an interesting conversation. Um, I was at a, um, I went and got my haircut and it happened to be next door to a wallowing cafe that had just opened. And, um, the, the guy who cuts my hair is, is a total just good dude. And he's like, Oh, let me introduce you to the manager and went over and shook the guy's hand. And, you know, I'm talking about the band and and you just kind of see it registering. And he's like, he doesn't get it because Mm. people come in all the time and they say the things that I'm saying. And so he's like, do you have a video? And I was like, well, do I have a video? And I, uh, (laughs) and I threw him, I threw up YouTube with, uh, with our promo video and then he kind of locked in and then he was like, you know, I told him that we had played other venues and he knew the person that I, I had mentioned. And so there was this kind of whole exchange there. Um, whether we end up going with them or not is kind of up in the air because they're, they are new and their, um, their pricing isn't quite in line with what I'd like to make. But that's the other thing about those kinds of gigs is that if you, if you have a, a goal and you have a price point that you want to be at, you have to be willing to let it go. Mm. Um, and I've had those a number of times where a venue has reached out to us um, and not the other way around, which feels great. And they go, we'd love to have you. And I say, well, mm-hmm. what can you offer? And they say, well, we'll offer you this amount of money. And it's not in line with what I think we are worth or what we should make. And I, I just have to say, um, you know, unfortunately, that's a little below what I'm willing to take. Thank you for your consideration. If um, if your financial situation changes for uh, entertainment, please let me know. Um, yep. Otherwise, good, good luck. Have a you know. I hope everything goes well for you, and and you have to be okay with that. Yeah, yeah, and you have to have the wherewithal to say no without burning a bridge, because who right. knows what the future is going to hold there. Sure, and and it. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying you know that doesn't really line up with um, sure with what we uh, what we'd like to make. Um, so you know, maybe, maybe down the line, we can revisit this. Um, and there have been times when, um, I have reached out to venues that have, we, I've had that conversation for and said, Hey, you know, we've got a light month. Maybe it's time to reconsider. And I've also had them reach out to me, go, um, we're willing to pay what you want, uh, to make. Um, right. let's go ahead and make a deal. So, yep. 
it can go either way. Yeah. Yeah. So would you say that venues, you know, when you're reaching out to a, a bar, it's um, sort of getting a, getting a crack into the calendar is, is a whole level of challenge, yep. but then they have dates that they are just writing down names on and they're just available to write down names on those dates. Once you sort of convince them that you're worth doing business with, mm-hmm. is it essentially the same with a venue that does ticketing or, or, or do they have more open inventory or less? What's that like? Um, it's, there's typically just a different tier because they're dealing with different kinds of acts. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the I would say that for um, a venue that does sell tickets, I would say that their calendar is actually less open. Uh-huh. Typically, uh, they tend to book further out. Uh, they tend to uh, have more artists in play, um, and they may be pulling in artists from different markets um, because it is typically a higher tier. Mm-hmm. Um, you, it does kind of put you in a different echelon as far as competition goes. So, um, yeah, you'll be competing against traveling and touring folks for sure. Yeah. And, you know, occasionally national acts and things of that nature. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, the, the ticketing deal can get kind of tricky because there's, there are these different levels of these venues and on the top end, you've got the, you know, things like theaters and house of blueses and that kind of thing with that have agencies and things that are tied to them. And then you have these smaller independent venues, um, that kind of just work off of their own you know, whoever's, whoever's booking the dates. Um, you have to make sure that you offer a unique product. Um, you know, we, we run into this a lot where, um, we reach out to a venue who does this kind of thing and they go, we've already got an eighties band, which fair play. Um, there are a few of us about, and a lot of them do tour. And so we've got, you know, uh, acts that are based out of Louisiana and, um, and Tennessee and those, uh, markets that typically, you know, have a, a, a circuit of venues that they do. Mm-hmm. So, um, you do have to make sure that you come with something unique and something that is valuable to them. Again, it's got more to do with what you can offer their clientele than it is what, you know, how talented your product supposedly is. For sure. For sure. Well, I mean, that's sales, right? Yep. <laughs> the bottom line is to <clears throat> understand your client and understand what they need and understand how you can meet that need. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, in our case, it's, it's a bit of a unique situation because um, the guys who open this venue are guys that I was in a band with. Um, so convincing them to book us was not terribly difficult because right. they, they were also you know, booking and promoting the band on, you know, out of their agency. So it was just kind of an extension. And initially at the beginning, it was something where we were playing there a lot. And um, while we weren't making good money, we were breaking into that market. And we have people now who only come to see us in that venue. Hmm. I was in the crowd after the show on Saturday and people said, oh my gosh, when are you guys playing again? And so we're playing in three weeks. Um, It's a free show. They go, where is it? Oh, it's in Marietta, which is literally less than maybe 10, 12 miles from that venue. And they were like, uh, <laughs> because they're not, you know, we in Atlanta's got this, um, this kind of distinction. They have what they call ITP and OTP. Um, and ITP stands for inside the perimeter. The perimeter yeah. is uh, 285, which circles 
basically the city of Atlanta. Right. And so, um, Vagments is our ITP venue and most of the other venues that we play are OTP. Um, and ITPers don't like going OTP. Um, and it is, it's, it, it can, it's kind of this cliche kind of snarky thing, but in reality, when I lived in the city, I didn't want to drive out of the city. Sure. Um, and now that I don't live in the city, uh, driving into the city is kind of a pain in the butt. Right. So, uh, they're, they, they both have their points. They both have their merits. So, yeah. So your situation isn't going to be the same as mine. Um, but we still have to, you know, Every time that we do an event there, we want to make sure it's unique. That's why we've done 80s Ladies Night. We've done Fanny Pack Friday. Like We've been trying to create these unique events as a way to market you know, to our fans, but also to market to their clientele. Um, so we'll just have to see if um, you know, more than likely the next time we book at Vengman's, we will be doing another 80s Ladies Night because, um, again, I think the branding works. And I think it may be more in line with what their clientele is interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll just have to see. That's good. It's good. So, you know, <clears throat> if those of you who are listening, who are in bar bands, who are sort of looking at that sort of stuff as the next leap, um, the, the action item here would be to find venues in your area that do ticketed events and just, you know, find out sort of what their availability is and, you know, just make some contacts there and find out about, I think con- the conversation about, scheduling and about the financial rooms are probably the next step after just making contact and finding who that is that books and how they would get in. You know, one of the first times I played one of these things, we were opening for somebody we'd never heard of. Um, and the venue put us together and that's the thing that happens a lot too. So, um, so it's all about reaching out. It's all about connecting with those folks. You know, it's not all that different actually from a bar gig sale, um, but you do have to understand sort of the economics is different. It's the, the money's coming from door sales and not from bar sales. And and that means something different. That means something different in terms of marketing. Yeah. You know, there's, there, there does not appear to be any sort of, uh, there's no silver bullet. You know, we have said this over and over again. We, we know what works for us, but it doesn't always work for everybody. Yep. Um, but, it is the indeed the next frontier, and and you know long term, um, we are still looking to do these kinds of public events, and hopefully you know the the hope would be that you um, you do a certain number of events, these ticketed events start growing in momentum, and you eventually outgrow the venues that you're playing. Yeah, and then you move those to different venues, and yep. you kind of build that momentum. Um, you know, in our case. It took us, you know, for all intents and purposes, three years of playing in the venue to sell the venue out like we did. But in order for, you know, for that to have any sort of, you know, weight to them or to other venues, uh, we have to be able to replicate it. Right. So if this was a fluke, it very well could have been. I still kind of feel like it was. But if it wasn't a fluke, then, you know, we can start having those conversations. Um, and seeing what we can do about it. So, but it was, you know, it's cool. Yeah. It, it, at the very least, you know, some things that you did that are correlated with it working. Yep. They may not have caused it, but they're correlated. Yes. And, um, and you know, to do those things next time. Yep. You know, this is just, 
the mad science kind of alchemy component of what it is we do. <laughs> exactly. We're, we'll figure it out eventually. Exactly. Exactly. Well, there you go. Yep. So do you want to talk about the thing that we've been talking about? Um, which thing? Uh, the, the Google sheet thing. Oh no, no, I don't think so. Okay. Well then you guys don't need to worry about that right now. Yeah, that'll be news for, uh, uh, sometime in the future. Let's just say that Dan and I have had some interesting conversations and we have created a Google document about those conversations. Yeah. I actually, I don't know if you know, but I created a second Google document. Uh, you know what I didn't, that's how, you know, that's how secret it is. Super secret. It's so secret. We don't even all know about it. It's true. It's amazing. Well, good luck to all of you. I want you all to, uh, sell tickets to your shows and to make lots of money. And, um, I want the best success for all of you and, um, the worst success for all of your enemies. (laughs) Because again, we're turning over a new leaf 2019 pure revenge. That's right. This is the year of vindictiveness. Love it. Death to all of your enemies. Anyway, I'll go ahead and call it for this week. Let's Uh, do it. I've got a lot of editing to do and I'm going to leave that part in so that everybody knows. Yeah. Yeah. This was a sloppy recording. It really was. Yep. It's after our bedtimes, you guys. We, we officially um, said we were going to start this at um, 9.30 p.m., which we both agreed is dad late. Yeah, dad late, for sure. Yeah. Um, if I was not recording a podcast, I would definitely be in bed right now. No question. So I will call it for this week. From Atlanta, Georgia, I am Adam Johnson. Greensboro, North Carolina, I'm Dan Ray. You have been listening to the Cover Band Confidential Podcast, episode 37. Have a, have a good week. <laughs> <laughs>